one constant through all the years, Ray. Beyond the game. The ladies are digging my sweet face. That's the dumbest thing I could think of. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. You like that? You like that? That is a career ender, just like this show. You're already famous in Rochester, the Watch Out World. It's a faith-based sports radio program. We would be honored if you would join us. Good morning. Thanks for tuning in. We're glad to have you along. This is the Beyond the Game program. I'm Rick Benson along with Zach Barletta. Our website is btgprogram.com and you can find us on social media at btgprogram. Zach, let's jump right into the show. As you know, my wife's favorite team is the Oakland Raiders and we didn't get to this on last week's program and I don't even think I've talked with you about this off the air, but I'm interested to hear what you think about this, Zach. The Raiders, as you know, already have the league's approval to move to Las Vegas. And, okay, I don't like to see teams move away from a fan base, but I'm enough of a free capitalist to believe that they should have a right to move, mm-hmm. if especially if profitability becomes it comes into it. But what I don't get is how the Raiders can stay in Oakland for the next few years while they wait for their stadium to be built in Vegas. Yeah, that's going to be awkward, right? Right. The obvious analogy that comes to mind is trying to pull that nonsense with the girl you're breaking up with. You know, <laughs> it's not me or me. it's not you, it's me. So I'd like to stick around until my new girl is ready for me. I, you're not going to get away with that. Now, I don't know all the specifics, but it's pretty clear they're not making the revenue that they feel they need to make in Oakland. Mm-hmm. Playing on a field with a dirt infield can't help them. It's, you know, they're playing in a baseball stadium. Yeah. And and from what I've read, the Oakland A's are actually making more money on concessions during Raiders game than the Raiders are. But the Raiders have one of the best fan bases in all of sports. They are passionate about the Raiders. And they are kicking them in the teeth yet again. Luckily, most of them have armor and face masks on, so it's not really going to hurt them. <laughs> I get the revenue situation. I really do. And I know Vegas is luring them with the promise of investing huge amounts of money, but screwing over the fan base because the local municipalities won't pay for your new stadium, that's garbage in my opinion. Figure it out yourself. I, they did it across the bay from what I understand. Levi Stadium was, wasn't built with taxpayer money. Figure it out. Why has it got to be up to the taxpayers? I can't accept that it's not possible for you to finance it yourself. Now, you may not want to. And I suppose, why would you if somebody else is willing to pay for your stadium and they're willing to ante up all these things as Vegas appears to be? That's why I think this is so insulting to the fans. It's not that you can't stay. You, you're not going to bother to figure out a way to stay because you really don't want to. You'd rather go where someone else is giving you the sweeter deal. That's what makes it so irritating for me. And, of course, they'll say all the right things. They'll say, well, we tried, we investigated, we we just couldn't come up with a way to do it. I just can't buy that because you're in basically the same area where they did do it in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I hate seeing teams move like that. I hate seeing fan bases. It'd be one thing if nobody supported their team. You know, and, and there was a reason to move right. the team. The stadium wasn't a good stadium. 
and and I get that they have a stadium yeah. problem. Basically, if they were the Tampa Bay Rays. Well, speaking of the Tampa Bay Rays, you know I have a special place in my heart for the Expos. Never really sure why, though I I always loved the old Expos uniform. I I love mm-hmm. the logo. I really love the logo, and I would love to see Montreal get a team again. So long as it's the Expos. I'm not looking for the Montreal Mounties or whatever you want to call them. <laughs> it needs to be the Expos. Baseball, like all other sports, they really want to go more global. They want teams in Mexico, Puerto Rico, other places. But before expanding into those places, I think baseball needs to make it right. They need to right a previous wrong and need give Montreal back its baseball. And I have the answer, as you just alluded to. I mean, the Tampa Ray Rays are so obvious that you'll scratch your head wondering why it hasn't been done already. Mm-hmm. It's a completely original idea. Nobody's There's no rumors, no discussions of this, <laughs> as long as you don't read newspapers and we check just, out sports sections. We just came up with it just now. Yeah, that's right. I mean, will Major League Baseball please do baseball fans a favor and get the Rays out of that stupid Tropicana field? The place is a pathetic place to play baseball. Get them out of there. Open up 82 more dates for orange juice conventions or senior (laughs) living and timeshare seminars. Use it for exhibitions for mobility equipment. Get HGTV in there with that flea market show that they do. But for crying (laughs) out loud, if there's a catwalk that interferes with the game, then you can't really play baseball there. And I, that's why I buy into the, the Raiders problem. Look, if there's an infield in the middle of your football field, you don't need to be playing football there. Yeah. Now, the difference between the two is nobody goes to raise games. Nobody really cares. Right. There's so much to do in Florida. Remember that movie with Richard Pryor, John Candy, Brewster's Millions? They were playing the Yankees in Hackensack, New Jersey, home of the Hackensack Bulls, which was the team that uh, Monty Brewster was on. There was a train going through the outfield. And this that may only be marginally more ridiculous than a catwalk and a white roof. It's just stupid. And I saw your Facebook discussion when you railed about it. <laughs> I mean, that one person was fairly aggressive in arguing that such things add to the uniqueness and the individuality of a park. A baloney. Like, I'm all for uniqueness and individuality. Look, the Green Monster is famous because there is nothing else like it. The Yankee Stadium with the facade or uh, the Astros used to have Tails Hill in center field where you ran uphill to a flagpole, you know? Yeah, well, that was dumb. <laughs> yeah, that was dumb, but it was unique. But it didn't really interfere with play. I mean, I've been to a game at the Trop years ago, Yankees race where Jason Giambi hit a ball off the catwalk, and we spent five minutes watching replays to figure out if it was a home run or not. You know, if your building interferes with the play on the field, you need a new building. Yeah, baseballs bouncing off a catwalk is not charming. And the the argument that the fellow was making on your social media page was that if you don't allow catwalks, then you're not allowing for individuality. You should have identical cookie-cutty stadiums around the league. Like they got a tank full of stingrays in the outfield. That's unique. Let's have that. Fine. That's Let's not, not have flipping catwalks. That's right. ridiculous. As you say, the green monster is charming. Heck, the goofy little triangle area they have at Fenway Park in, in deep center field, mm-hmm. that's kind of unique. I, I don't have a problem with that. You mentioned Houston. They had that hill. I didn't like that because I think that was a player safety situation. Well, yeah. 
which, and we just talked about this the other day, why are there still warm-up mounds in play on fields? Build a bullpen, a real bullpen. Get Protect the players. Yet one more reason to get, get out of the trap. It's not suitable for baseball. Move the Rays to Montreal. It solves a myriad of problems. And there, there's already baseball in Miami. They get they get all of, well, half of spring training, half of it's in Arizona. So they got all the spring training games that they have. They got plenty of minor league teams. They'll be fine. They have Disney for crying out loud, Universal Studios, Bush Gardens. They got all the, they don't need, and again, as we said, they don't even want the Rays. They don't go to the games. In right. Oakland, they're supporting the games. I think you owe it to your fans to, if you have to finance a stadium yourself, do it. You owe it to your fans. Your fans are coming. If you moved out of Tropicana Field, nobody cares because 17 people go to the game. Yeah. And they're all related to the guys on the team. <laughs> it's just the friends and family section. I really have a problem with the Oakland not trying to build the stadium themselves. Yeah. If they can do it across the bay in San Francisco, it's not like they're doing it the other side of the country. They did it in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So, And it's not like it has to be all or nothing. Like. You have to pay for all of it, or the taxpayers have to pay for all of it. You can find a common ground if you're willing to do so. There has to be a number that works for both sides, and I think if they tried a little harder, they probably could find it. Not that I'm privy to any of their discussion or anything, but it feels like there wasn't a lot of effort on the team side. In their defense, why would you put that effort in when you have a location willing to throw all this money at you, make all these promises, and, and build you the stadium without reaching into your own pocket? Obviously, you're going to do that. They're mm-hmm. they're paying your way. Listen, if you and I are going out to dinner and, and you know, you've invited me out and we're each paying our own way, or somebody else invites me out and they're picking up the bill, Zach, I'm leaving you far behind. And I'm going with the guy who's picking up my tab. <laughs> I wouldn't blame you. Coming up later today on the program, the Carolinas are king and queen of college basketball world with North winning the men's title, the South winning the women's, and the UConn women with 111 straight victories. Well, they came up one short of even making it into the title game. Is that the greatest streak in sports history? Is there a loss to Mississippi State parallel to Goliath's defeat at the hands of David? Aaron Belomo is a cross-country runner with three-time defending ECC champion Roberts Wesleyan College. He's going to join us a little later in the program. Zach is ready with his list of shenanigan statements, and we'll tell you what it is that we liked this week. That's all coming up today on the Beyond the Game program. Let me tell you about Town & Country Pest Solutions. They've been in business for nearly three very successful decades. They have the experience to tackle any pest problem. Covering Rochester, Syracuse, Buffalo, Albany, Watertown, any place that could pick up this radio station is somewhere Town & Country Pest Solutions takes on pests and critters of all kinds. Town & Country's technicians are friendly, professional, and most importantly, they're knowledgeable. Bees, wasps, roaches, ants, bats, mice, call Town & Country. Even raccoons or larger animals call Town & Country. Have a bed bug problem or just want to check and make sure that you don't have a bed bug problem? Call Town & Country. Early detection is key when it comes to bed bugs, so if you suspect a potential problem, call Town & Country Pest Solutions today. Town & Country's success rate and their guarantee are both well above industry average. 
Call Town & Country Pest Solutions today, 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. And let their team of professionals handle whatever pest problem you may have. Or visit them online, townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions, fearing nothing but God. It's here, Ram Sports Network, Christian Sports Television. That's right, Christian Sports Television. Ram Sports Network is the first Christian sports TV channel with programming from Pee to the pros. Games, events, sports talk, fitness and nutrition, sports missions, western sports, and sports ministry. We're spreading the gospel through sports. Watch us now at ramsportsnetwork.com or find us on the Roku Channel Store. Ram Sports Network, more than a game. When I have a home remodeling project, whether interior or exterior, I call McAfee's Remodeling Company. Family-owned for nearly two decades, McAfee's Remodeling Company is the name I trust. Mike McAfee put a new bathroom into my house three years ago, and I'm still getting compliments on it every time someone comes over to visit. Mike and his crew are experienced and professional, and you'll be thrilled with their work. So give McAfee's Remodeling Company a call today at 402-1070. That's 402-1070. Or visit them online at McAfeeRemodeling.com. Welcome back into the program, Beyond the Game. Rick Benson, Zach Barletta with you, btgprogram.com or at btgprogram. I'm pleased to be able to welcome now into the program Aaron Bolomo. Aaron runs cross country and track and field for Roberts Wesleyan College. Aaron, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. In the fall, the Red Hawks swept the first four spots in winning the team's third straight ECC title. Three of those four top finishers were seniors as well as freshman Josiah Adelini. As one of those seniors, Aaron, when you look ahead, who becomes the leader of this team? And how do you like the shape of the program to be able to chase a fourth straight title? Well, that really was a special race at the ECC championships this year where Matt, Keith, and I, the three seniors, we were able to go one, two, three. So it was a special moment, but it does, as you mentioned, it does leave a little bit of a void in the team, both in talent and in leadership. So I think the team has a bit of an interesting dynamic going forward that out of the freshman, sophomore, and junior classes, it's really the freshman that has the superstars with Josiah Adelini and Chris Sims. So it'll be, it'll be a young team. It'll probably be a redeveloping team in a sense. But there are some men in the sophomore and junior class that I think they'll play a supporting role athletically and could really step up to the plate and be spiritual leaders for our team, which is something we really value in our culture and our atmosphere and our program. Looking at your career individually, you were named an All-State athlete three times in high school back home in New Hampshire, and I understand you hold a few personal high school records. What is it about cross-country running that attracted you to the sport, and how old were you when you first took up long-distance running? I was actually a soccer player throughout middle school and my early stages in high school, and I just did track to stay in shape for soccer. So freshman year of high school, I ran 5.02 in the mile, which is not bad, but not nothing to write home about either. And then sophomore year, I had a breakout season. Wasn't really doing anything training differently, but had a breakout season sophomore year of high school and ran 439, qualified for the divisional meet, and realized it was all juniors and seniors and only three sophomores at that meet. Realized I had a lot of potential in the sport of distance running and had to make a tough decision whether to continue with soccer or pursue something that I felt I had a higher ceiling in. So I made a tough decision to give up soccer, join cross country, take my track training more seriously, and have never looked back. Let me ask you about Roberts for a minute. After spending your freshman year at Linden State, you transferred to Roberts Wesleyan College. 
Why Roberts? Can you talk about what went into your decision to leave home for Western New York? I definitely don't want to talk negatively about Linden State because I met a lot of excellent people there, and I'm still actually in contact with the, the coach I had at Linden State. But I was looking for, after my freshman year of college, a more academically challenging environment than I was receiving at Linden. And Linden only had a cross-country program where I was definitely missing indoor and outdoor track. So those two factors, the academic aspect of Roberts were the more, more academically challenging program, and then also the ability to run track and field at the Division II level were big factors in identifying Roberts as a place where I could come and thrive. I thought it was interesting that on your bio, you actually list a favorite Supreme Court case, that being McCulloch versus Maryland. I imagine that few people actually have a favorite Supreme Court case. What is it about that that case that you appreciate in particular? And is it something you think is fundamental to our normal walks of life? (laughs) I'd actually forgotten that. I'd written that down in my biography. But I remember my, my AP history teacher in high school he, would, he talked about this case in the sense that it seems very fundamental for how people look at politics and how we look at the Constitution, and we're still debating the same issue even these hundreds of years later. So that specific case, I believe they were talking about whether, whether the United States should have a national bank, and there were two basic sides, the strict interpretationist who looked at the Constitution and says, well, it doesn't say you can, so you can't. And then there are the loose interpretationists of the Constitution who said, well, it doesn't say you can't, so you can. And I think we're still wrestling with that same question in terms of approach to government, how to look at the Constitution. And we've been wrestling with that question for the past hundreds of years in this country. You're a communications major with a specific interest in politics, while at the same time interning for the city of Rochester. I imagine that's a busy schedule. So has that busy schedule had any impact on your ability to train as a runner? I guess what I'm wondering is how much of a challenge has it been for you to balance academic life with athletics? It definitely is a challenge. One thing that helps us in, in, in terms of distinguishing us from some other athletic programs is we don't, we don't I guess, waste our time partying and being hungover for portions of the week. So that definitely plays a role. But it is a challenge. It is a difficult time balance. But that is one thing I love about Division Two that I feel like Division Two is the perfect balance of being a competitive athlete and competing at the at a high level. But at the same time, Roberts and Division Two is clear that you're a student athlete, you're not an athlete student. So I think we do a good job in our program balancing, but it definitely takes determination, it takes discipline, and it takes a focus in some key areas, which for that, it's our relationship with Jesus Christ, our academics, and then our athletics in that order. I could certainly appreciate the difficulty for student athletes of maintaining a healthy balance between academics, athletics, and yet still keeping that spiritual, consistent spiritual walk with God. So for the benefit of others who are listening, I often like to ask our guests about their strategy for staying strong in all those areas. So Aaron, let me ask you, how do you stay focused on your faith and ensure that your time with God is given a priority in in that busy schedule? I read the Bible twice a day, every day. When I wake up in the morning, I do a passage in the New Testament, and then at night I usually read a few few passages, few chapters in the Old Testament. And that's something I really try to hit home with our team Bible study, that there's such, such a fruit and such a benefit from saturating your life in Scripture, immersing yourself in the Word of God. And just on a very basic level, I tell the guys that the Bible is the Word of God. It should be the authority for your life. And as David says in Psalm 1, he loves the law and meditates on it day and night. So that's the, the main piece of advice I have in that arena is really staying saturated and immersed in the scriptures. 
Once again, we're talking with Roberts Wesleyan cross-country runner Aaron Belomo. Being away from your home, your family, of course, your home church, is there someone or, or maybe it's someone's there on campus who's been instrumental in helping you to not only keep a faithful walk, but also encourage you to grow spiritually? My sophomore and junior year, uh, Professor Timothy Dwyer, he was incredible. He actually moved to Florida recently, which is real sad for the college. But he was an incredible man of God. He knew the scriptures so well. You could almost rattle off any verse or passage, and he knew exactly where you were referencing. And he really hit home in all of his classes about the authority of scripture and how it should be, it should be essentially our, the lamp upon our path, as it talks about in the Old Testament. So when he first would say that, that he's based his life on Scripture, he immerses his life in Scripture, I didn't really understand it at first, but I think he planted some really important seeds in me that developed over time. And I still use him as a resource, emailing him from time to time when I'm working through something difficult in the faith. I'd also say my coach, Andrew Dorr, has been very influential. He sets, He's very clear when you come to Roberts that you don't necessarily have to be a Christian to be on our team. But he sets a clear atmosphere. He sets a clear culture that this is going to be a team where God is glorified. And then the captain my sophomore year, Kevin Brown, he was also very influential. And he always made himself available. Whenever you need to come to his room, give him a phone call. Anything you're dealing with, whether it's classes, whether it's running, or whether it's your faith in Jesus Christ. Mm, that's great to hear that you have those type of guys there for you. You know, listening to you talk, you can tell how excited you are about Scripture and how, as you read that part of David, where he loves the Scriptures, he meditates on it, and I suspect the same for you. Would you mind sharing with us how you first came to that point where you knew, you you know, you just realized you needed a Savior, so you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Can you tell us about the circumstances around that a little bit? Yeah, so throughout my whole junior year, I was I was reading Scripture every day, reading Scripture on a daily basis, wrestling with a lot of issues, because as you can imagine, coming from a more worldly perspective, a lot of the positions I had, say on gay marriage, on abortion, on gender fluidity, what I believed didn't necessarily coincide with what God was saying and His Word. So I had to wrestle with that a little bit, and do I try to twist the interpretation so it reconciles, or do I just submit myself to God's truth? And then I also, I had some uh, some immoral behaviors I was engaging in freshman year that also did not co- coincide well with God's truth. So sophomore and junior year, I was doing a lot of wrestling. And I found myself sophomore and junior year that I had, I had stopped engaging in those behaviors, but the desire was not wrong. It was not, the desire was still there. I had not abolished that desire yet. So it was actually June 2016 when I became a Christian. It's about 10 months ago now. And I can remember uh, one of my friends was texting me, and he was asking me for advice about wanting, wanting to do a certain sexual activity with his girlfriend and saying, well, the Bible doesn't say I can't, so that means I can, right? It was sort of getting back to McCullough v. Maryland yeah. for a second. So, and I was just thinking about the issue, and it kind of struck me that that wouldn't, it seems to be a, more of a heart issue than a textual issue at that point. That, that doesn't seem like how a Christian would approach the issue if the Christian's a transformed person. What can I get away with versus how can I glorify God? And I remember reflecting on Galatians 2.20 at that point in time, furthering that idea that the Christians left his life, his or her life of sin and been born again in Jesus Christ. And Galatians 2.20, that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who, who died for me and loved me. So at that point, I kind of I think I fully realized what a Christian is. 
that being a Christian isn't just about going to church or saying your prayers or singing the songs or tweeting the verses, but it's a transformed life where one has left his or her life of sin and been transformed in Jesus Christ, placing their faith in Jesus Christ. That's a great testimony. I, I love hearing people's testimonies, but uh, yours resonates with where so many young people are struggling today. I appreciate your sharing that. How can we pray for you? Yeah, so definitely with a little over a month until graduation, it's a big transition time coming up. Looking currently adamantly looking for jobs right now, starting to look for apartments. I have a new new relationship on the horizon. So I would appreciate prayers for guidance and prayers for discerning God's will throughout this process of this transitionary period. Be glad to pray for you about that. Are you heading back to New Hampshire? Uh, my plan is actually to stay out in Rochester. I've The city of Rochester really has put a little bit of a special yearning in my heart. So that's the plan, to stay out in the Rochester area. Well, I'm glad to hear that. We can use people like you, strong, faithful believers. Aaron, I want to thank you for joining us. I wish you all the best and continued success after graduation. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here today. That's Aaron Belomo joining us here on Beyond the Game. Aaron runs cross-country and track and field for Roberts Wesleyan College. I'm Rick Benson. You're listening to the Beyond the Game program. All right, let's get into this week's Red Hawks report for April 8th, 2017. The Red Hawks report is presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. The women's lacrosse team got back into the win column after a short three-game losing streak. Senior Cassidy Chukowski matched her season high with eight goals and leading the Red Hawks to a 22-10 win over Queens College. Juniors Mackenzie Kidder and Joanna Price had four goals each, and senior Shannon Knapp made 11 saves. Chukowski has 16 goals and seven assists in the last three games and has been named the ECC Offensive Player of the Week for the second time this season. She's leading all of NCAA D2 in goals per game with a 5.82 average. The men lost their third straight last weekend, falling to Seton Hill 8-4. Senior goalkeeper Keith Keane was under pressure throughout the match and made 17 saves, but the Seton Hill offense got off 46 shots with 25 being on net. In men's tennis, Roberts hung tough but ultimately lost to the East Region's top-ranked team, New York Institute of Technology, 6-3 last Friday. In fact, NYIT is ranked 32nd in the country. The Red Hawks won twice at doubles and once in singles matches. The men's tennis team offers you two opportunities to catch the Red Hawks at home in the week ahead. They will host Damon College on Tuesday, April 11th, starting at 4 p.m., and then will welcome in St. Thomas Aquinas College next Friday. That start time is also 4 p.m. The Red Hawks women's lacrosse team will also be home next Friday the 14th. They'll take on New York Institute of Technology at the Roberts Wesleyan campus at noon. That's it for the Red Hawks Report for this week, April 8th, 2017. The Red Hawks Report is presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. And remember, you can always follow Roberts Wesleyan Athletics on Twitter at RWC Red Hawks or visit their website, athletics.roberts.edu. This has been the Red Hawks Report presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. Do you know an athlete whose participation in athletics is vital to their college choice? Then consider telling them about Roberts Wesleyan College. Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts. We field 17 varsity sports and offer the only NCAA D2 program in Greater Rochester. Our teams have won six conference titles and reached three NCAA national championship appearances. Help the athlete you know to take their game to the next level. Visit roberts.edu. 
Beyond the Game, talking sports from a different point of view, highlighting the stories and the people of faith. It's not a faith program that includes sports. It's a sports talk show rooted in faith-based principles. Welcome back to the show, recording in the BTG studios in Rochester, New York. Here is your host, Rick Benson. Thanks for being with us. Rick Benson, Zach Barletta, recording the Beyond the Game program from our home here in the BTG studios in Rochester, New York, btgprogram.com or at BTG program. We want to say hello to those listening in Midland, Michigan, who regularly download the podcast. Midland, Michigan being the birthplace of New York Mets manager Terry Collins. It's also the home of the Dow Chemical Company. I'm telling you, they got to have some pretty good water there. There's something strong. There's something right about the way they raise their kids. Because in addition to Collins, there's a number of Midland residents who've gone on to play sports professionally. A number of politicians are from Midland, Michigan. Robert Jarvik, inventor of the Jarvik Artificial Heart, was born in Midland, Michigan. As was cartoonist Kathy Geeswhite, who created the comic Kathy. I want to thank you all for listening. The program is available to be downloaded at our website, btgprogram.com. You can also listen to our archived previous broadcasts, and you can join the many across the nation and even around the world who download the program each week to their device. You can subscribe at btgprogram.com. Carolina is the heart of college basketball. That's been the case for some time, but Whether you're talking about the men's or the women's college basketball, the Carolinas are where the champions call home. Of course, North Carolina won the men's title in a whistle-laden victory over Gonzaga. Mm -hmm. And I'm not buying into what some are saying, that the numerous whistles helped North Carolina win its sixth national title. But give them credit, the Tar Heels were better on this night. Gonzaga had a great run, but the Tar Heels were better. Gonzaga can be proud, but the Tar Heels were no doubt the better team. All the numerous whistles really did was make a great basketball game that much less enjoyable. It didn't make it unenjoyable, mind you. It just made it a little less enjoyable. Gonzaga didn't win the title, but by getting to the title game, they gave me the edge I needed to win our BTG bracket pool. I beat out Darren, who had to settle for second. You remember our former co-host, Darren Metzger. If you happen to see him some point in the near future, please congratulate him on finishing second. (laughs) on being a non-winner, being a also-ran, being something less than a real man. Maybe that was a little little too far. I assumed assumed that you had won because I didn't hear anything from him after the game. So I figured if he had somehow managed to win the bracket, our phones would be blowing up. My daughter won her bracket as well. It was a good week in the Benson home. I believe my daughter ran up winnings of about nine bucks, she says. That's about nine dollars more than I did. We gotta change that, Zach, for next year. We gotta do it where the second place finisher needs to buy the first place finisher lunch. And if and if a bunch of people are tied for second, they all need to chip in and buy lunch for the first place winner. I don't care if you finish last, if you finish, you know, near the bottom. It it comes down to who finished second, because you're the first non winner. Not only did North Carolina win the men's title, but congratulations as well to South Carolina, who won the women's title. The Gamecocks, as Syracuse was last year, represented in both the men's and women's Final Four. That's quite an accomplishment. 
I think though only UConn, if I remember right, is the only team that has won men's and women's national titles in the same year. I actually think they did it twice, but I know they did it at least once. And as far as I can recall, I think they're the only ones to have done that. Well, there hasn't been a women's team besides UConn for like some people's entire lifetimes, right? (laughs) So, I mean, that's a pretty good guess. And South Carolina has a terrific women's program. Their win isn't a fluke in any way. They earned their title. I'm sure they're excited about it, rightfully so. But I guess what I do sort of feel badly about for them is that for the casual fan, few are going to remember who actually won. What they'll remember is that UConn didn't win. And they may not even remember who beat UConn because it wasn't South Carolina. It'll be like the gold medal winning USA hockey team back in 1980. That miracle game is well remembered where they beat the Soviet Union, but that wasn't the gold medal game. You might even have Al Michaels' great call to the ending of the game going through your head as I'm sitting here talking. But most people don't mind that it, remember that it was Finland that they beat for the championship for the gold medal. UConn had won an amazing 111 games in a row before losing in the Final Four to Mississippi State 66-64, and that in overtime. At one point in the game, Mississippi State had run up a 16-point lead over the mighty UConn. Now look, people want to say that the 111 games in a row doesn't mean as much because it was women and it wasn't the men, and what a bunch of nonsense. Domination is domination, no matter who's doing it. Exactly right. We're not talking about a couple of three or four game win streaks that we're comparing. This is 111 games. Men or women, it's not hard to imagine a team reeling off a string of wins against, you know, a, a short amount of watered down competition. You know, you get a you get four or five games on your schedule against weaker clubs and you know, you can run off a win streak. Maybe you even got one or two competitive teams in there. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about 111 games. That's an amazing streak, no matter who it is. Even to do the simplest things, to do it 111 times in a row without making a mistake, well, that's pretty good. I mean, just think, can you toss a ball in the air and catch it 111 straight times? Now, what has that got involved? No fluke wind catches the ball, no strange distraction, no hiccup, nothing. Everything goes right 111 times in a row. That's a pretty big deal. But it was Mississippi State who went on to the title game to face the Gamecocks thanks to a buzzer-beating jumper by Morgan William. UConn had been down by 16, but they did come back. They forced overtime, and they darn near escaped and kept the streak alive. No one in the country thought that could happen. We beat the greatest team with the greatest streak in the history of sports, says Mississippi State coach Vic Schaefer. Is it? I tend to think the greatest streak in the history of sports, to me, in my opinion, is Joe DiMaggio's 56-game winning, hitting streak, excuse me. I think you could call it the greatest winning streak, because 111 games is, it's got to be far and away the longest winning streak ever, but the greatest individual streak, no. I know some people like to say Cal Ripken, and that's a great streak, don't get me wrong, but people go to work all the time. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and I, I know that's minimizing what he did, but really, people go to work every day. What Joe DiMaggio's streak, he had to get a hit every time he went to work. He had to be successful mm-hmm. every time he went to work. I think that makes that the greatest streak of all time. 
The Mississippi State-UConn game did get some attention, though. It was televised on ESPN2. It averaged 1.8 million viewers. That's good enough for a 13% increase over last year's semifinal games. And by the way, it beat out both the Rockets-Warriors game and the Spurs-Thunder, which was part of a back-to-back broadcast on ESPN. I wonder if the numbers grew throughout the game as people were finding out that Connecticut was down and then tuned in to see the historic takedown. I wonder if the numbers grew. But you know, the South Carolina-Mississippi State Championship game, that was also up. Ratings were reported by ESPN to be up 20% above last year's championship match between UConn and Syracuse. It's also 4% higher than the previous year, 2015, between UConn and Notre Dame. Good for the ladies. You know, I've heard some refer to this as a David versus Goliath, this matchup between Mississippi State and UConn. And UConn, while most definitely a Goliath of a program, this hasn't been the same dominant UConn team that we've seen in the past. Very, very good. Don't get me wrong. Amazing. They've won 111 in a row, though they weren't all this year. At times this year, this team had been pressed. At times, they'd been challenged. They always came out on top, no doubt about it. They've continued building on the success of those that came before them. And yes, they definitely meet the Goliath profile, in my opinion. But Mississippi State, they were no David. This was an upset, but it wasn't the most improbable of upsets. It wasn't a rematch of the same two teams that met in last year's Sweet 16. If you recall, the Husky just pummeled the Bulldogs 98-38. I should say that they weren't a David in a sense that they weren't weak, they weren't insignificant. This is a, this is a good team, this Mississippi State team. Like South Carolina, they're a quality women's basketball program. But they did resemble David in their faith. They had confidence going into this game. We believe in our locker room that it would be done, Coach Schaefer said. Of course he did. It's why you play the game. It's why you go take you take the field, you take the court. You have a realistic idea of your chances. You know that you're facing a formidable formidable foe. You know that listen, everything's gonna have to go right here. We're gonna have to be focused from beginning to end. We're gonna have to play our best, but we have a chance. You know that as a player. And even though he was facing a more formidable foe than UConn would have been to Mississippi State, David had confidence in his God. Though the stakes were higher, David's life was on the line. The stakes were higher than the outcome of a basketball game for sure. His faith in God in the face of difficult circumstances serves as an inspiration for all of us. I want to read a couple of verses from 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to start in verse 34. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, moreover, this is verse 37, The Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. David had confidence, man. I mean, he was bordering bordering right on cockiness. He had confidence. He had faith in God. He knew what God was capable of. 
The Bible tells us David was small. He was weaker than most of his age, and really by the world standards, not prepared to play in this big game against the Philistine. If there were a scouting report for this battle, man, David's name wouldn't have even come up. Wouldn't have been listed on that report. He wasn't a starter, if, if you know what I mean. But as we all know, David surprised everyone, but not himself. It wasn't a surprise to him. You know, all believers in Christ will find themselves facing big challenges, big obstacles from time to time. Sometimes those challenges seem as though you're staring right into the eyes of a Goliath. It's a big deal. It's at those moments that either faith or fear is going to take over. As believers, we're challenged every day to do what is right. Being committed to Christ means that regardless of the obstacles you're facing, regardless of the circumstances, we, we're called to do what's right. David was laughed at. He risked failure. And in this case, failure meant losing his life as he battled Goliath. And yet he pressed ahead. God is faithful. God is mighty enough to produce great victories in our lives, just as he did in David's. We know how that story of David and Goliath ends. With a sling and five stones from a brook, he, he went right at the challenge. And with God guiding his hand, the stone that he threw hit the giant right between the eyes, and the big man fell. God can do the same with you, with the challenge that you're facing. Satan stands in front of Christians, and he's challenging them. He wants to knock them off their game. He wants to get them to be unfaithful to God. There's trials, there's temptations, there's problems, there's obstacles. They're not all presented by the devil. Sometimes we get our we create our own mess. But one of the devil's greatest weapons is challenging Christians to question what it is that they believe. He's subtle in whispering doubts into the ears of a believer. It worked way back in Genesis chapter 3. He got Eve to doubt what God was really saying, what God really meant. Sometimes as we're facing our biggest challenges, we, we just don't know if God is there. And there's a few things I want to leave with you to encourage you in your faith, to encourage you in your confidence in God. Just as David knew that God would use those stones he pulled from the brook, God will use you too. And he'll use the tools that he's equipped you with. Ephesians 6.11 says, Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. A key thing in every battle you face is to remember that the moment you placed your faith in Christ, the moment you trusted Jesus as your Savior, His Spirit came to live within your heart. Rely on that Spirit. Trust that Spirit. Avoid trying to do things in your own power. Zechariah 4.6 says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. Sometimes our thoughts seem to be more on the enemy, seem to be more on the fact that there is a Goliath out there, there is a challenge in front of us, rather than focusing on how to defeat that challenge, how to come out victorious, how to rely on God. We spend more time studying the enemy, and I'm not saying that's completely bad, but we forget all about studying our greatest weapon, 
our greatest defense, our greatest fortress. Don't forget to seek God in facing challenges. And don't forget the things that he's already done in your life. Like Mississippi State against UConn, David knew that victory was possible. He had faced big enemies before. We just read about the lion and the bear in 1 Samuel 17. The reason David was so sure of victory, because he had gone to the well of divine strength numerous times before and proven it to be sufficient. Perhaps you've had things in your life. God has carried you through things, seen you through things. Why could he do it then and not now? Of course he can still do that. The fact that you're here today means you got through yesterday. Means through whatever challenges you faced in the past, you've gotten through them. And you're here to tell about it. Don't forget that. Don't forget what God has already done. And be sure to rely on his strength. And as Aaron Belomo said in our interview earlier in the program, stay saturated in the word of God. That's where David found his confidence. Consider his own writings. Psalm 119.92 says, Unless thy law had been my delights, I should then have perished in mine affliction. A few verses later in Psalm 119.97, David says, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Stay saturated in the word of God. Stay encouraged by reading the Bible. My challenge to you this week is to keep praying. Keep moving forward. I know you're facing challenges. Some are big, some are small. Keep moving forward. Stay faithful. Stay strong. Stay confident. Each week we conclude our show by encouraging people to be bold and be great this week. Attempt great things for God. And then expect great things from God. With him at our side, should we be any less confident than David was to do just that? Be strong, be bold, and be great this week. I'm Rick Benson. This is the Beyond the Game program. What a fellowship, what a joy divine. Do you know a high school athlete looking for a D2 college? Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts Wesleyan College. We're proud to be a serious athletic school with great opportunities for serious athletes. In fact, we have the only Division II athletic program in the area. Our many varsity programs range from basketball, tennis, and cross country to track and field, golf, volleyball, and soccer. Tell the young athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. You're listening to Beyond the Game, talking sports from a different point of view. Beyond the Game is listener-supported. You can help by making a one-time gift or perhaps even committing to a monthly pledge amount. And if you own a business, consider advertising during the Beyond the Game program and promote your business to large audiences of both sports fans and people of faith. Please join us as we seek to encourage, equip, and evangelize through Sports Talk Radio. Visit our website at btgprogram.com for more information or make a donation via PayPal Secure Servers. Beyond the Game thanks you for both your financial and prayerful support. Rick Benson, Zach Barletta here on the Beyond the Game program. I've said it a number of times over these weeks and years we've been doing this program, but one of my favorite segments continues to be shenanigans. I like the rapid-fire way we get to work through a number of topics each week in this segment. So, Zach, 
Let's get on with your shenanigans statements for this week. All right. The Yankees' three young sluggers, Gary Sanchez, Greg Bird, and Aaron Judge, combined for four total hits over the team's first three games. Truth or shenanigans, it's time to panic about their performance. I say shenanigans, but all the warm, fuzzy feelings about finishing first in spring training are all gone. I think the only thing I would be concerned about at this point, really, is if that if they don't get a few hits soon, they're going to start pressing, and that's just going to make mm-hmm. things worse. So I, I, you don't want your young players getting themselves into extended funk. So no, I'm not really worried about it. These guys can flat out hit, man. I think they'll be fine. If there's one I'd be concerned about maybe more than the others, it'd be Aaron Judge, just Agreed. because of the high strikeout mm-hmm. rate. But he made good contact in spring training, so you want to keep those good vibes going. Yeah, I thought it was funny. Not well, not funny, but a little weird how once the regular season started that all of a sudden they couldn't hit because all they did was go across town from spring training complex. <laughs> you know, it's not like they traveled cross country or anything. But you know that there are guys that Bird and Sanchez, we've seen them do it in the regular season, you know, albeit not for a full season, either one of them. Both of them have come up, hit the ball well, hit some home runs, played well. So we know that they can do it. And like you said, it's it's way too early to start panicking, although the internet is panicking if you've been it is funny. looked around. But um, like like you said, I completely agree. My one concern would be that they start pressing, start tinkering with their swing or something, and then get themselves in an even worse spot. So uh, if they keep doing what they're doing, the hits will come, I think. While we're doing opening week overreactions, the Arizona Diamondbacks won their opening series against the San Francisco Giants including a dramatic come-from-behind win over Madison Bumgarner on opening day. Truth or shenanigans? The first-place D-backs are for real. You know, I'm going to say shenanigans here as well. I think opening day in baseball is like no other sport. Teams tend to play real well in their home opener game, in their home opening series. You know, then they get on that first road trip. And Mm. that's how you can really start to see where, I, I don't know what it is. That for that home opener, bad teams even play good. They're all excited. The season's getting underway. So I think this is sort of where the Diamondbacks fall in. By the time June rolls around, you've had a number of road trips. You get an idea who you really are. But unless they overhaul the pitching between spring training and opening day, <laughs> I, I don't think the Diamondbacks are for real. I think they're improved, but oh, I don't they're think improved. they're improved. Yeah, I for my answer, I look no further than the Minnesota Twins, who started out the season 2-0. and oh, And I think we agree the Twins might be the worst team in baseball. So, I, like you said, the opening week, there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of adrenaline. There's a lot of stuff that happens that's anomalous that we're going to look back on at the end of the season and go, remember when that happened? That was hilarious. And I think the Diamondbacks getting out to a first-place start is going to be one of those things. You know, I, why is it, do you think? Do you agree with that, that it's unlike other sports? Because I can't, I don't think other sports, the home opener is as important as it is in baseball. There's something about baseball. They just get really excited. They play really well for the most part. I don't know what that is, uh, what it is, but I agree that it's probably the most maybe some, in some for some teams in hockey, I think it, it has that because they do the huge amp up uh light show stuff before the game and everything but i agree in baseball it's it's the most of any sport maybe you and your brother can dig into that um myths and mysteries podcast i think that might qualify as a myth 
The Seattle Seahawks general manager confirmed this week that he has had talks about trading star cornerback Richard Sherman. Truth or shenanigans, Sherman will still be a Seahawk when the season starts. What's your thoughts, Zach? I completely agree. Uh, he's going to be a Seahawk. Look, the to be able to trade him, you have to have a team that's willing to give up their draft picks for him, a team that can afford his cap hit, and that doesn't mind dealing away top draft picks for a 29-year-old. Uh, I just think that the the costs to acquire him, what it's going to take is more than what you're going to get out of him. He's 29. If he's not in the downside of his career, he will be soon. He's not going to be cheap. You have all of the, I'm not going to say off-the-field stuff, but the running his mouth, the showing up the league and his interviews and that sort of thing. I just don't think many teams are going to find that to be worth it. So I think, and that's not even going into his value to the Seahawks, which is immense. It's one of the best players they have. So I think all that adds up to him staying in Seattle. I I absolutely agree with you. Sherman will be a Seahawk when the season starts. Uh, You know, teams are always talking. They're always talking. Mm -hmm. Like the GM himself said, they pull the trigger on so very few of the conversations that they have. He's one of the best in the game. The the fans in Seattle love him. They there would be a mutiny if they Oh yeah. You know, you would have to get a really expensive haul up draft choices in exchange for him. And if the Patriots are the team that I most see linked to in the reports, that ain't how the Patriots roll. So yeah, he's a Seahawk when the season starts. Speaking of the Seahawks, their retired former star running back Marshawn Lynch was spotted at the Raiders facility and is rumored to be progressing towards coming out of retirement to play for the Raiders. Truth or shenanigans, Lynch will get his release from the Seahawks and play for the Raiders this season. I I agree, and I think it's okay. I I think he will play. I think it's okay for everyone. He's a great talent, but he comes with a circus tent. Mm -hmm. And and it seems Seattle's content on having moved on. They're satisfied with, with their situation. The Raiders would have another talent on their roster to try to smooth over the pain that they've caused their fans after being screwed the way they were. Fans may want to stick it to the team and stay away, but I'll tell you, if the team is winning and Marshawn Lynch would help them win Mm -hmm. and they're putting out stars on the field, fans aren't going to stay away. And Marshawn Lynch is not only a star player, but he's from Oakland. I believe he still lives in the area. So, I mean, he's a guy that not only would help the team, I assume, if he's in playing shape, but also would appeal to the fans that probably are going to stay away otherwise. So I think it's a great move. I think he will play for the Raiders, and I hope that he does because he's so much fun not only to watch play, but to watch do his interviews uh, such as they are when he just says thanks for asking to every question and just answers them so he won't get fined and all of those things and each Skittles and all the stuff that he does. I love Marshawn Lynch. The league needs more Marshawn Lynch. I hope it happens. Buffalo Sabres star Ryan O'Reilly said this week that the Sabres missing the playoffs again this year is, quote, pathetic. Truth or shenanigans, O'Reilly voicing his frustration to the media is good locker room leadership. Come on, you could say it's okay, I know. Why don't you give us your opinion, Zach? It's tough to say. Like, my first my first thought was, wow, uh, if you if you read the article, there was a, he says a lot of stuff, and... He talks about guys not playing hard, got guys not having a reason to play hard. And I was like, wow, you know, this is really, 
awkward to read. Like, if I was a teammate, I don't know how I would feel about it. But you know what? For him to say it to the media, I'm sure that a lot of his teammates feel the same way. Um, I'm sure that they feel that it's sort of a waste of a season the way that it started. There was a lot of promise before the season, and then suddenly all of their talented players got hurt within the days before the season started, and they were in a big hole right from the start. So you know what? I'm sure that he is frustrated, and I don't really mind him saying it. I, I like the intensity and the drive and the fact that he cares. So I'm sure Sabres fans like that too. Yeah, I think it's fine. I, I agree. His voice voicing his frustration is good locker room leadership. Look, they're professionals. They get it. They need to be fired up. What they need to know is that in that locker room, the expectations are to be in the playoffs. I'd want guys frustrated with missing out. I I, I think he's doing the right thing. Fire those guys up. There's no, no, no harm in that. Psalm 127 verse 3 says, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And what an amazing blessing our children are. What I like this week is the sweet story Tony Romo shared on CBS Sports Radio's 105.3 The Fan in Dallas on Wednesday. Romo was sharing his four-year-old son Hawkins' reaction when finding out about his dad's retirement. The boy's first response, Oh, okay, great. Does that mean you're going to be around more? Good. Well, then you can buy me Legos. <laughs> the priorities of a child. Absolutely. But then as he thought about it more, he got a bit upset, and Romo asked what was wrong, trying to calm him down. Hawkins said, I thought you meant you're not going to be able to play football in the backyard with me anymore. Tony Romo <laughs> and his son Hawkins' reaction to his dad's retirement are what I like this you week. Like that. You like that. What I like this week was the video that quickly went viral of the Philadelphia Phillies' Brock Stassi when he was told that he'd made the big league roster. Mm. He's 27 years old. He was a 33rd round pick in 2011. He's been working and working towards making the big leagues. Is finally getting his first taste, and he broke down. He was almost crying as he was being uh, talked to about it. He said it was a dream come true, and I made it to the big leagues and can finally say I'm a big leaguer and it's special. And His brother, Max Stassi, who plays for the Astros organization, posted a list of all the things that Brock Stassi's had to overcome to make it to the big leagues, the way he's been cut from teams and stuff. And it was just, it was really inspiring to see a guy finally achieve his dream and not give up and finally make it as a big leaguer. So props to Brock Stassi, and he's what I like this week. You like that? You like that? His teammates are giving him a hard time. They're having a lot of fun with the waterfalls, but... Uh... Uh, it was a good story. And you know what? He earned it with the spring training that he had. He was fantastic. So oh, good for it, him. Yeah, absolutely. Good for him. He earned it. It's a great story. That's our show for this week. Thanks to you for being with us. This has been the Beyond the Game program. If you haven't done it already, check out Zach's new podcast he does with his brother. I've mentioned it earlier in the program. And if you enjoy myths, curious stories, unsolved mysteries, check out the Myth and Mysteries podcast available on iTunes and Google Play or visit their website mythandmysteriespod.com. Before we sign off, I may just issue this quick reminder that this radio ministry is mainly listener-supported. If you enjoy the show, please pray about supporting us. Perhaps a, a donation, a financial gift of any amount, you can visit our website, btgprogram.com. For Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. Lord willing, we'll be back together again next week, right here at this same time. Be bold and be great this week, everybody. 